continuing to study the book of Hebrews. We'll be in it for several more months. Uh, this morning we're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 19. It is God's Word, now of respect and honor for God's Word. If you're able, please stand together with me. We'll read. Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 11, hear the Word of God. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of the law, uh, for on the basis of it, the law was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come? one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there uh, must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said belongs to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regards to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Thus far, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Do you ever sense a bit of frustration with the speed of technology today? I mean, you go and you buy a new computer, and um, you get home, you're... you're well pleased with it and maybe you, you go online and you start to look up that computer and you find out even though you thought it was the newest of technology they've already stopped making that one and they've got new ones to replace it, right? Or maybe you, you get you know what you think is the, the newest and the best smartphone and you're real excited about that but it's not for a couple of months and they've got new ones with better, uh, faster speeds on it and uh, better cameras and uh, all these other things and you go, oh, well, that's what I needed. The fact that things change so often kind of shows the imperfection. I don't know if, you, if you, you look on your smartphones and you see these apps that you get. You ever get frustrated with the fact that you're having to update them every week? You why update them? Why don't they get it right in the first place? Why do they keep making me update this thing? You know, if it was perfect, you would think it wouldn't need to be changed. Steve Brown used to uh, tell a story of a uh, of a soap company that said uh, we could not improve on our product, so we changed our packaging. Isn't that good? Yeah, you got the perfect thing. Don't mess with it. It's perfect already. Wouldn't that be nice? You had the, the perfect already? Well, the author of Hebrews is dealing with some uh, Hebrew Christians in the first century who were thinking, well, you know, we've converted to Christianity. Did we make a mistake? Maybe we need to go back to the old way. And they're, they're not seeing their physical priest in the synagogue or in the temple like they used to. 
and they're thinking, and maybe some of these Jewish people are saying, you know, where's your priest? You need to come on back. We we got a priest here. You know, look at look at the law and read it. It tells us about our need for this priest. And so they're thinking about going back. And now the author of Hebrews is going to tell them that wasn't perfect. If it was perfect, he said, if it was perfect, then well, you wouldn't have needed another one. And we see that you need another one. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, when, uh, when the psalmist himself uh, tells us that another priest would come, not from the order of uh, Levi or from the order of Aaron, but he's going to come from a different order, order of Melchizedek. And so it brings us to our first point in your outline there. Um, there needs to be another priesthood because, well, the first priesthood, the, the order of Levi and, and Aaron, well, it's not perfect. Now, you remember what priests were supposed to do. We talked about this some last week. And if you were listening at that point during the sermon, you remember that priests are to bring, their responsibility is to bring man to God. That's what they do. They bring the prayers of God to men. They, they intercede for him. They would bring the sacrifices for men to God. And all of these things. And the, and the priest is supposed to be the one who brings man to God. Well, we see that the uh, Levitical priesthood, it does, it's just not quite perfect in doing that. It's not perfect. And we're going to see some of that in just a little while. But the author of Hebrews says, um, you know, that they, they couldn't, the Levitical priest could not ultimately do what the priest was supposed to do. He did not make access for men to God in such a way that man could go and meet with God and be fine with it. We see that uh, throughout the Old Testament. We're going to look at it again in a little while. But the author of Hebrews is saying, you know what? If they were able to do that, if they were able to fulfill what the priest's function truly was, then David wouldn't have said in Psalm 110 that there would be another priest. And he quotes quotes it here in verse 17 where he says, uh, For it is declared to you, uh, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. In other words, he's saying David was recognizing there was another priest to come. If that priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood and the Levitical priesthood, if that was good, if it was perfect, it wouldn't need to be replaced. It would be that soap, right? It's perfect and you don't, don't need to replace it. But he says, even the Old Testament recognized the, uh, the, the imperfection of the uh, Levitical priesthood. And so he's telling them, why would you go back? Why would you go back to imperfection? Once the perfection has come, you might could illustrate it this way. You go to the movies, you get there early because you want to see all the previews. You want to see the movies you might want to see, right, that are coming. And you see a preview and you go, that looks like a movie I'm going to go see. That looks like the greatest movie they've had out in, you know, two decades. I'm going to go see that one. And you go back the next week. The movie's not supposed to come out yet, but you see the preview again. And you go, yep, I'm really going to see that movie. I want to see that movie. And so you find the, the, the preview of it online and you, you watch it, dreaming about the time that the movie's going to come out. And then the movie comes out, and you say, mm, yeah, I know the movie is out, but I don't really want to. I'm just going to keep going to the preview. Right? 
that makes sense. This preview is so good, I'm not going to go see the movie. Well, you know, the Old Testament priesthood, that's actually pointing forward to a priest who will come, who's not imperfect, but he is perfect in every way. We, we looked at uh, that last week of, of, of the perfection of the order of Melchizedek over the order of Levi and Aaron. And why would, why would you go back? That was all pointing forward to the perfect one to come. And now he's come. It's like saying, I'm going to be content with the previews. Looks like a great movie, but I'm just going to stay with the previews. And he says, no, no, that, that way is imperfect. The, the Levitical priesthood is imperfect. If it was uh, perfect, if, if perfection could have come through it, the psalmist wouldn't have said there's another one to come in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so we move on from there. First of all, the imperfection of the Levitical priesthood, he, he reminds the people of that and saying, why would you, why would you ever want to go back to that? Uh, secondly, the weakness of the law. We see that in verses 12 and, uh, and once again in verse 19. He says, For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. And down in verse 19 he says, For the law made nothing perfect. The law made nothing perfect. Hopefully you remember that when we talk about the law in the Old Testament, you can put it in three different categories, right? You can talk about the, the moral law, which is the law of our behavior, uh, the ceremonial law, which is the law about um, all the sacrifices in the temple and the way that they worshiped, called the cultic law, the, the cultic practices that they would go through. And then there's the judicial law, which is the law of the nation of Israel, and that would be for things like uh, if you um, if you disobey uh, this particular law here, the consequences of it, you know, you you have to do such, such and such or such and such. Here's the punishment for it. The kind of the judicial laws that just apply to the nation of Israel at that time. Now, when we talk about the moral law, um, the author of Hebrews here says that, that the law uh, made nothing perfect and that the law itself was not perfect. But what about the moral law? And certainly we read in Psalm chapter 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, right? And so we see that the moral law, in a sense, is, is, is perfect. It is that law which tells us the difference between right and wrong. Now, how do, what, stay with me here, okay? Try to focus here. Because I want you to see how this works. God made man in his image. That means we're supposed to reflect the character of God. We're supposed to look like what he looks like. When God gives us the moral law, that law is showing us what God looks like. Okay? And so, um, you're to have no other gods before me. God doesn't have any other gods before him. He, God exists for his own glory. What are we supposed to do? Give glory to God, right? And all of these other laws that we see here, the moral law, they all reflect who God is. 
And so by doing those things, by doing what the moral law tells us to do, we are the image of God. We're reflecting that image. If we obeyed the moral law perfectly, we would reflect the image of God perfectly. We would look like what God looks like. Jesus comes and he does the moral law perfectly, right? And he is the perfect image of God because he does all things perfectly. So that is the, 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 the purpose of the moral law is to determine right and wrong. Now, man in his fallen condition, and so in that sense, the moral law is perfect, reviving the soul. It tells us right and wrong, and it, it tells us exactly what is right and what is wrong. And if we want to know the difference between these things, we look in his word. That's where we, we get the understanding of what is right and wrong. That's where it comes from. God himself has told us. He says, this is, this is what I look like. If you're going to be my image, do this. Okay? But man fell in the garden, right? He disobeyed God. And in that fallen condition, now man is incapable of, of doing the moral law perfectly. Many in Jesus' day thought maybe that they could, and then Jesus comes on the Sermon on the Mount and he begins to talk about the law of God. He says, you've heard it said that you're not to murder, but I tell you, if you think uh, about in, uh, another person with hate, You've murdered him in your heart. You've heard it said you should not commit adultery, but I tell you that if you look at a, a, another woman who's not your wife, then you've committed adultery in your heart. And you begin to see that Jesus, just using these couple of examples, he's beginning to say, all right, the law is much more than just an outward obedience. It's an attitude of the heart, too. And sure, I can say, mm, I'm not going to go take an axe and take it out on that person because I'm angry with them. But at times, the, the, this, this attitude of, of a lack of love and concern for a neighbor, what is that? It's breaking the law. And we see that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is not trying to make it easier for us. He's showing us the impossibility of us in ourselves obeying that law. The, the, Jesus said that the first and greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Here on this Lord's day, is there anybody that's done that since the time you woke up until right now? And even right now, if you're sitting in here and you're, you're supposedly hearing uh, God's word preached and your mind is drifting, are you loving the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength? Now, there are those in certain Christian circles which teach what's called perfectionism. They say you can become perfect in doing what God wants you to do according to the moral law. What usually happens is they begin to say, well, I didn't quite do that. And so they will wind up either lying about what they do or they have to change the law somehow. And go, well, we're under the new covenant, a new covenant of grace. And so the new law here is just to love. That makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Give, give me do not murder, okay? Give me do not commit adultery. Give me do not steal, okay? Those kinds of things, just on the surface level, I can, I can do that, right? But love, the Lord your God, with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, I don't quite do that, do I? And so those who would teach perfectionism, they wind up changing the law, and so they'll say, well, let's do what is most loving, right? And in saying, we'll do what's most loving, they begin to change the whole definition of what love is. They change love from being an action to being a feeling. And thus, it's easy to say, I don't love you anymore. That feeling is gone. <laughs> That's not what love is. Love is an action where you're giving yourself to that other person. They change love from agape to eros, from action to feeling. And we see the moral law then disappears and we descend into vulgar lawlessness. We see it in our nation. We see it in our nation in actions like abortion, where we somehow have said it's okay to murder that baby as long as it's still in the mother, but it's gone beyond that to say, okay, well, even if it's born alive, you can still murder it. It's, it's, it's okay. And it goes beyond that to where states like New York can say you can abort that baby at any time for any reason. And they gather together to sign the bill that says that and they rejoice. And you look at it, how in the world did we get to this place? Or take another illustration the celebration of homosexuality where we say it's okay, it's just a different lifestyle. Even to the point where we say it's okay for a man to marry a man or a girl to marry a girl, that's, that's okay and we celebrate that. And we take a great symbol of God, a rainbow in the sky which is declaring God's covenant promise to us never to destroy the earth again with a flood and they take that and that becomes the sign which they will celebrate their homosexuality. And it goes even a step beyond that to where right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right. They change places and it is no longer those who would murder a child who are wrong, but it is those who would speak out against that murder who are wrong. It's not those who practice homosexuality that are wrong, but it's those who would take you to God's word and point it out to you that God abhors this sin that are wrong. And so we see how the moral law in our, in our world is really lost. And I do think it comes from this idea of perfectionism 
where we must change the law, and when we change the law to make it something that we think we can do, we continue to go down that road until we're calling right wrong and wrong right. Well, I want you to understand, even though the law of the Lord is perfect and the moral law in the sense that it truly reflects the character and the image of God as he is and as he wants us to be, Paul reminds us that the law has no power to save. The law has no power to save. The law can't help us in obeying it. All the law can do is say, this is what you do. And if you don't do it, you're condemned. All the law can do is condemn. And so while the law of the Lord is perfect, in the sense that it perfectly reflects the, the character and the image of God and what we are supposed to do, the law is not perfect in its, in its ability to save us. It cannot. It can only condemn us. Paul is quite often when he talks about the law, he's talking about the moral law and its inability to save us, thus pointing us to Christ and saying, he fulfilled the law for us. And that's important. But the author of Hebrews, especially here in chapter 7, is dealing more with what we call the ceremonial law. Leon Morris said, Hebrews views the law not as a prescription for the behavior of individuals, but as a uh, as the uh, sum of sacrificial regulations for the ancient cult community. The author of Hebrews in verse 18 even calls the law talking about former regulations, all the things that went on back then with the, with the sacrifices and all the things the Levitical priests did. Um, all those things is what the author of Hebrews is saying. That, that's imperfect. That can't save you. It can't help you. Um, that law only pointed us to Christ. It in itself is not a means of access to God. It points us to the one who is a means to our access with God. It points us to Christ. In fact, when you look at it, when you look at the old law with the Levitical priest and the, and the Aaronic priesthood, Instead of bringing us to God, what a priest is supposed to do, take man and bring him into a relationship with God, instead of doing that, it reminds us of our separation from God. You think about it just for a minute. What did they, in the Old Testament, in the high priests and all the stuff that they did, what did they do? Well, um, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, right, where God's presence was. Only one person, and only then after he made sacrifice for his own sins. And then when he did it, he could only do that once a year. You and I, if part of that system, we couldn't have gone into the presence of God. What does that do? It shows our separation. It doesn't point out the fact that we're close to God. It points out the fact that we're separated from God. And it could only happen once a year. And then... Where did it happen? It happened in the Holy of Holies. There's this thick veil that, that, that partitioned us off. God is there, but I can't go there. Right? Only the priest can go there. The old law and the old uh, ceremonial law with the priesthood and all its practices, it didn't talk to, it didn't remind us of our closeness to God or our, our uh 
association with God, our relationship with God, it reminds us that we didn't have one because of our sin. And so, author of Hebrews is saying, you know what? That law won't help you. That law reminds you of your separation from God. It doesn't bring you closer. Why would you go back to that? Maybe, I've heard people say this, and maybe you think this sometimes too. I've been so bad this week. If I go in that church, the walls are going to fall on me, right? What is the mindset there? You're thinking, I've got to be better in order to make me pleasing to God. I've got to obey the law, which we've just discovered the law can't help us because we can't obey the law. But I've got to do that in order to make me close to God. <laughs> Author of Hebrews would tell us, you're thinking wrong. You got this all wrong. The law can't help you in this. The law is weak in that regard. The law can't bring you close to God. Only the one who fulfilled the law perfectly for you can bring you close to God. He is the one who is now our priest. He is the one who is the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He is the one who perfectly fulfills what the priest is supposed to do. He brings us near to God. right? And so instead of looking to the Levitical priesthood to bring us to God, or the law that was associated with it, the author of Hebrews says, he uses the language in verse um, 19. He says, there's a better hope. There is a better hope. A better hope that's not in the order of uh, Aaron or uh, not in the order of Levi, but in the order of Melchizedek in Christ Jesus. The former regulation, talking about the former law, verse 18, the former regulation, he said, is set aside. Set aside. Now, if you have a different translation, the King James and the New American Standard uh, say uh, disannulled. Other translations say it was canceled. Set aside here doesn't mean for a time being until God's plan B is finished and then we'll bring it back in. Okay? There are those out there in Christian circles who would say, no, that's what God is doing. He's just set that aside for a while. We're going back to that sometime in the future. Say, no, that's not what it means to be set aside. It means it's done away with. Look, look, at, look at how he describes it here, the old, the old law. And so you go back, he says, for the law made uh, uh, nothing, uh, see, it, no, the, the last part of verse 18, the former regulation is set aside because it is weak and useless. Weak and useless. It does not accomplish this relationship with God. And so it is set aside never to be reintroduced. To do so, to reintroduce this way of, of a relationship with God, with the sacrifices and, the, and the, the temple and all these things, the author of Hebrews is saying that would be to deny the efficacy of the work of Christ. To go back to that which pointed to him, we would say, well, let's, let's go back to the previews here. Right? Say, no, 
No, that which it was pointed to is coming, Christ. We do not go back to that. It has been set aside because it is weak. It was weak and useless. But what about this better hope? This better hope that has come to us in Christ Jesus, who's a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. What about it? Verse 19, a better hope is introduced. Not the hope in the old law and the old priesthood. A better hope is introduced by which, what's the priest? Responsibility. What's he supposed to do? Bring man to God, or God, or, yeah, man, man to God. That's what he's supposed to do. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. How do you want to get to God? It's not through our obedience to the law. It's not through for, for them. It was not through going back to the old priesthood and that old law. We're to set aside those ideas, those old ideas of coming to God by our own behavior. The law has no power to do that. It can only condemn us. We're to draw near to God by means of trusting the one who fulfilled the law for us. Trusting in the one who is a priest forever. And is even now bringing us to God. Let's pray.